even seen scripture around here, amen? Just like the church has done for centuries. All right, here we go.
and I have been attending CA since 2006. And what I enjoyed most about the partnership program is that it allowed me to see what CA has been doing, not only inside, but outside the walls of CA. And it invites me to participate in any way that I choose. One thing I love about partnership is meeting new people and hearing how the Lord has led them to CA. We've been coming to CA for about a year now, and something we really enjoyed about the partnership class is the sense that we're becoming a part of a family. 
I've been attending CA for three years, and my favorite part of attending a partnership at CA was getting to meet all the wonderful pastors of CA. I'm so blessed to be um, part of a church with such great leaders. One thing that we really liked about this partnership class is everything's based on God's Word. And we love meeting all the pastors and everyone. So come join us next time. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Come join us for the partnership class. Uh, partnership is a key step to belonging here at Christian Assembly. So whether you are new or whether you've been here for many years, we invite you. If you've never been a part of the partnership class, we invite you to come out and be a part of that with us. It's beginning on February 5th. It's going to be happening on Sundays for four weeks. You can register online and get some more information um, as to what the partnership class is and what it's all about. Go to our website and register for that. We'd love to have you be a part of the partnership. Good evening. My name is Marvin. It's great to be with each and every one of you here on this wonderful uh, Saturday night. It's good to worship with you. Um, I just wanted to, to say thank you all for coming. If you have some seats, especially in the middle, would you consider maybe sliding in on those seats and leaving those uh, outside seats for folks that are still coming in? Thank you so much for doing that. Again, my name is Marvin, and whether this is uh, your first time at Christian Assembly or if you've been here for many years, I want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us. If it is your first time, we especially want to welcome you. We especially want to say thank you for being with us, and uh, we'd love to get to know you. There is a connection card, and those cards are found right in the seat in front of you. You can grab that little card, and you can fill it out. You can drop it in the offering bag uh, when it comes down in a little bit. And uh, that's just a, a way for us to capture your information and for us to call you this week and tell you about great things happening here at Christian Assembly. You can also stop by the New People's Table. That is out in the lobby. Someone will greet you there. There's a free gift for you this evening. Again, just want to say hello to you. Uh, if you are joining us online, welcome to you as well. We love that you're with us. I just want to say hi and thank you for being with us. Well, a few things I want to highlight. Uh, your bulletin is a great resource for information. So is our website. So is our app. So I encourage you to look at all of those. Uh, but one, we want to let you know about an exciting event happening for women, and that's the Women's Conference. That's going to be happening on Friday, March 24th. Okay, Friday, March 24th, and Saturday, March 25th, Women's Conference. We're excited about that. We're going to be hosting it right here in our Eagle Rock campus. So it's a chance for you to gather with other women, hear from God's Word, be encouraged through worship and connection. Lots of great things that are being planned for this Women's Conference. You do not want to miss out on those great things. You can go on our website, register online for that and be a part of Women's Conference. And for the men, I've got some for you too. Uh, men's 10-week life groups are starting this week. Guys are excited about 10-week life groups. And it's just that. It's a chance for you to get with other guys for the next 10 weeks and be a part of a small group. We're actually going to be reading a book together entitled Unoffendable because, guys, we want to be men that are not easily offended. And so we're going to read that together. And so join other guys over the next 10 weeks as we, uh, yeah, it is a good topic, uh, as we uh, get together with other men. And so you can find a list of groups and how to register for them on our website uh, to find a group and all that good stuff. Well, before I move forward in our time of worship uh, to the giving of our tithes and offerings, I'd love for us to reflect on God's faithfulness. And in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says the following. It says, God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning, 
And it says, great is your faithfulness. And so we respond to God's faithfulness by worship. And one of the ways that we worship is by giving of our tithes and offerings. Would you pray with me this evening? Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your love, Lord. We've sung about it, and now in a very real and practical way, we get to express that through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We pray that you would bless us as we worship you this way. We pray that you bless those online and wherever we might be able to worship you, whether it's here in the service or through, or through the app or on home, online, wherever we're worshiping with you. Would you meet us as we worship you, Lord? Thank you for this opportunity. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This is us. We live in a big city, in a huge state, in an even larger nation, floating on a giant ball in the middle of the universe. And even though we often feel small, God reminds us that our needs are not. So instead of starting here, let's think about starting here. If a classroom of 30 students represented the children of Los Angeles, 12 out of 30 students would live in poverty, and 3 out of those 12 would live in homes that make $10,000 a year or less. 7 out of those 30 students would live with someone other than their biological parents, and another 7 would have experienced some sort of physical or emotional abuse. In Jeremiah 31.13, God promises that He will turn our mourning into joy and bring comfort in our sorrows. Kids Hope works to do just that by showing up in the lives of students in that LA classroom. Kids Hope is a national mentoring program active in over 30 states and a thousand schools that aims to serve our nation's most vulnerable children. Christian Assembly partners with Eagle Rock Elementary to match at-risk children with screened and well-equipped mentors to help students experience God's hope and joy through learning, love, and play. There are tons of ways to get involved, and Kids Hope would be thrilled to welcome you into all that we're doing. Consider joining us as we work to bring joy and comfort into the lives of our local children. You can change a life, and that's no small change. Well, church family, so good to be with you. My name is Scott, and it's a Kingdom Weekend where we take time once a month to highlight how God's moving through our church as we follow Him on mission. And I'm here with our very own Sarah Dornboss, who's our Kids Church Director, CA Kingdom Partner. And Sarah, I just want to say on behalf of CA, uh, we're so thankful for coming up on 16 years now, 16th school year, uh, directing the Kids Hope Ministry over at Eagle Rock Elementary School and just absolutely incredible what God's done over these 16 years. And so for those who aren't as familiar with Kids Hope, could you share just a little bit about what Kids Hope's about as well as what's happened this past year? Sure. So Kids Hope is our local partnership with Eagle Rock Elementary, and we have screened and trained volunteers from our church that show up and work one-on-one -on -one with one student that has been referred by their teacher, um, and they serve one hour once a week. And just to give you a sense that our mentors are the most stable part of these kids' school experience. The mentors we currently have serving, most of them have been with their students since before the pandemic. And just to give you some perspective, we've had four principals this year. 
And they've had the same mentor for four years. And so the way that we are providing stability for kids who don't have it at home but need it at school um, is a huge gift that we're giving. And just to give one short example, we have a student that was referred to us 10 years ago. Her name's Elizabeth. And she was just such a hard worker, such a fun kid. And she graduated from sixth grade and started volunteering with Scott at our high school program we have that's called Fly Club. And she really wanted to be involved. She also went to Hume with our CA students uh, made a commitment to Jesus, started serving at CA. So she was volunteering in kids' church. She volunteered for VBS this summer. And she came back to me after VBS, and she's like, am I old enough to be a mentor yet? <laughs> <laughs> so this fall, Elizabeth started working with a kindergartner, and her brother, her younger brother, is actually still in Kids Hope and has a mentor, and her dad is a prayer partner. So we have all this overlap between those that we're serving are now serving alongside of us because of our long-haul faithful investment at that school site. Yeah, that's incredible. Let's give a hand. Let's thank God for that. That's, that's so cool how you see uh, the mentee who's been invested now becoming the mentor and just how Kids Hope is reaching the entire family as well. And I just want to say, Sarah, I just want to thank you for the way you've navigated uh, Christian Assembly and led uh, throughout the pandemic and different challenges all the way. 16 years is just absolutely amazing. And we want to continue to rally in this, in this new season. And so could you share with us how we can be involved and how we can be praying for the ministry of Kids Hope? Absolutely. Many of you have known that we had a real difficult time getting back on campus this fall with our MOU, our agreement between the district. And thank you for praying that through. We did. We were successful. We are back on campus, but we felt the strength of our school, our, our church community at the school. Um, we also have 22 kids on our waiting list right now. The needs are greater than they ever have been in my 16 years. Kids that missed out on very specific developmental milestones are being referred to to Kids Hope because teachers are seeing that gap, and they know that the one-on-one -on -one support we provide can help close that gap. Um, we also need 10 super subs. If you don't have a consistent schedule, but once in a while during the week you're available, that team is really important because they help us like be faithful to our commitment that that child will have Kids Hope even if their mentor is sick or out of town. Uh, we also need 22 prayer partners to pray for each of those new kids. Um, and those prayer partners make a huge difference. Um, and you can pray from the comfort of your home, so that's not a school-based or um, in-person thing, but you get to pray for a specific student. Our school is also severely understaffed, and they have asked us to, to put out the network, but they are looking to hire two crossing guards, three TAs, yard supervisors, substitute teachers, because a lot of our regular staff is serving in those roles and can't do their regular jobs. So you can check with us in the lobby about any of those opportunities. Um, we also made these little avatar cards that we have out in the lobby that are about each student on our waiting list. So this is girl number four. She is a first grader, and she speaks Spanish at home, but she's working very hard at reading and would like someone to read with her and maybe make slime. So you might want to stop by our table and just check out and see if one of these kids calls to you. We really believe that the Holy Spirit is behind the matches, and that could be to pray for her and or to be her mentor. I also want to make sure that you know that our mentors are here, and they've, they're wearing their shirts. So if you want to get sort of the, the lowdown from what it's really like... 
there's probably someone near you in the pew that can speak to what their experience has been like, and there's also information in the lobby, or in the bulletins, as well as in the lobby. If you're watching online, you can just email us at kidshope at cachurch.com, and we'll get you connected to that information. And then lastly, we need prayer. Our new principal has been with us just three weeks. His name is Mr. Baez, and he's such a critical part of our school community. So please pray for him. Pray for favor with him um, and our Kids Hope Partnership. And then pray for volunteers to fill every role that we have available at the school. I know that our church light is shining brightly there, and the school appreciates and depends on us. So we just want to continue to be excellent and to show up and love our neighbors at that school. Sarah, thank you so much. Well, if you feel comfortable, let's go ahead and extend a hand. Let's pray for Sarah as well as this ministry of Kids Hope. Well, Father, we thank you so much how you know each and every one of these students by name. We thank you for your immense love for them. We thank you for the partnership of Christian Assembly and Eagle Rock Elementary through Kids Hope over so many years and all the lives impacted. God, we thank you for each mentor, each volunteer, each prayer partner, each, everybody who's, who's come along to make this uh, possible. And we pray, Lord, for these 22 students, Lord, on the waiting list. God, we pray that each person would be filled, even this weekend. We pray in faith, God, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would call and handpick individually, Lord, uh, who you'd want to orchestrate and match up together for mentors, as well as prayer partners and all the needs of this ministry. God, we pray for Sarah. We pray that you'd fill her afresh, God, in this, this season, Lord. We thank you for how she served so faithfully. We pray, Lord, anointing of your spirit as she continues to lead. We pray for the principal, God, as well. We pray that you would uh, allow him just a favor, God, in his new role. We pray a blessing over him. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we thank Sarah one more time? Thank you, Sarah, so much for leading us. Well, again, I want to encourage you, anybody's feeling God tugging on your heart to get involved with Kids Hope, I encourage you, act on it, go talk to Sarah in the lobby, and we want to get all those, uh, those needs met and those mentor spots filled. Uh, I want to announce as well that we're having a missional training called Beyond These Walls. If you are looking to explore your missional calling and what that looks like for your life and your everyday life, I want to encourage you to join me. I'm leading a training called Beyond These Walls on Sunday, February 12th, and we're going to talk about... Uh, our king, how to get involved in our kingdom efforts here as a church, as well as how you take next steps in your missional calling. And so you can register in the lobby or online for that. Also want you to encourage you to grab a, a 2023 outreach calendar. They're out in the lobby. Uh, this shows you all the different outreach events we have going on this year, once a month. And so I encourage you to jump in, serve with us this year as well. So now's the time to give the kingdom offering. Ushers, you can come forward. We're going to pass around the blue buckets. Our kingdom offering goes to support all of our local and global kingdom partnerships that are having tremendous impact, and we're so thankful for all that we get to be a part of in God's mission because of our giving and generosity. You can give that way or online. Just make sure you click the kingdom offering tab. Thanks so much, church family. Well, if you're a visitor or guest, my name is Tom. What an honor and privilege to have you here among us. And of course, my CA family, great to be with you as well, as well as those of you who are online. want to uh, add my welcome to those you've already received and if you've been online for two years, I want to encourage you to come on back, join us in person at our in-person Eagle Rock campus, and uh, we'd love to have you be with us. Yes. <clears throat> um, quick little housekeeping thing. If you were not with us last week, 
Go ahead and grab uh, in front of you, in the seat back in front of you, there's a money back tithe um, challenge card, and it explains it all there for you. Basically, in the month of February, March, and April, if you're willing to register, give 10% of your income back to God. We believe God's going to open up the doors of heaven. Malachi 3, 8 through 12 talks about this and pour out blessings on you as a way of being a great steward of your finances. We talked about this last weekend. If you miss the message, you can catch it online. But for those of you who maybe were on the fence or some people have asked me, like, when are you ever going to run that again? We're running it right now. So you can grab that, fill it out, and drop it in the uh, buckets as you exit as a way to register for that challenge that's upcoming. Well, this weekend, I'm so excited. We are kicking off a brand new series, 10-week series, that I've entitled Real ID, Who God Says You Are. This series has been brewing in my heart for at least two years, maybe three years, as I've just been kind of saying, God, I, I really think you want us to speak to who you identify us to be, so we're not spending all of our time talking about how we identify ourselves, because the truest thing about our identity comes from who God says that we are. There's a certain kind of anti-intellectualism in our culture that says, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. You, You ever hear somebody say that? And ironically, the doctrine, the teaching that it doesn't really matter what you believe is a doctrine. That is a teaching. And it's not a very good one because it doesn't stand up to cross-examination. Case in point, John Evans is a sociologist at the University of California at San Diego, and he asked this question. Does a person's view on what it means to be human influence their ethical decision-making? He analyzed data from 3,500 adults, and here's what he discovered. Those who believe that humans are created in the image of God held more humanitarian attitudes towards uh, uh, towards their fellow uh, people than those who did not hold that belief. He went on, and this is what he discovered. He, he said that those respondents who agreed only with a purely biological definition of what it means to be human, the more they only agreed with the biological definition, the less likely they were to view humans as special, which then meant they were less likely to want to stop genocide they were more likely to accept the idea of buying kidneys on the black market, more likely to accept the idea that suicide is a good thing to save money, and more likely to say that we should take blood from prisoners against their wish. By comparison, those who believe that humans are made in the image of God are less likely to agree with the idea of money-saving suicide They are less likely to agree with the idea of non-consensual blood donation. They're less likely to believe that you should be buying organs on the black market. And they're more likely to believe that genocide should be stopped. In this series, what I'm going to invite you to do is anchor your identity, not in who you say you are, not in who you feel you are, not in who your friends say you are, not in who your boss says you are or your teacher says you are, but in who God says you are. And who God says you are is the truest form of your identity. In fact, on your way in, 
uh, we have a mirror set up. Some of you are like, why is there a mirror here? I don't like looking in a mirror. Well, actually, we want you at some point in the next 10 weeks, it's going to be there. And all 10 of the ways that God identifies us that we're going to walk through around the edge of the mirror. So I want you, when you're walking in, that's why we put it right where you walk in, for you to stop for a moment and say, this is how God sees me. Do I see me the way that God sees me? In this series, I'm not only going to invite you to anchor your identity in who God says you are, I'm going to try to show you that if you do, because the truest thing about you is what God says about you, you will be better off. And also, so will the lives of those around you. But on the other side, if you fail to identify yourself as God identifies you, you will be worse off. And not only will you be worse off, but also the people around you will be worse off as well. So week number one, real ID, you are created in the image of God. The more deeply you believe that, the more radically it will change both how you view yourself and everyone else around you. Let's consider that. But before we do, let's pray. God, I thank you for the, the really fantastic work that you're doing through us as a church family in Kids Hope. And I pray your blessing upon that. I pray you would fill up every need for every mentor, every prayer partner, every super sub. And Lord, I pray not only for that, but Lord, it feels like every moment there's another headline for us to be grieved and, and pray about. We pray, Lord, for those who were impacted by the shootings, both in Monterey Park as well as Half Moon Bay. God, we pray that you would bring comfort in the midst of grief. Lord, we ask that you would do this. As we turn now to your word, we ask that you would speak to us about our real identity, that you would speak to us about how that can calm our anxieties and lift our confidence when we decide to believe your word about who you say that we truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. On your way in, hopefully you got a bulletin. If you did, flip it open to the center section. You'll see the teaching notes that are there that you can fill out throughout our time as we go, and you'll see the scriptures that are there as well. Those of you online, you can also get that at our website, cachurch.com. I want you to think just for a moment about every single person that you met this week that you had contact with in one way or another. So think about the guy who cut you off in traffic that you were none too happy about. Think about maybe if you were traveling, you know, maybe you were in an airport this week. Think about that lady in the airport, the kid who lives in your neighborhood that you saw walking to school. Each of those people were created by God. Psalm 139, 13 says this, For it was you, God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, and here's a key verse, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Whatever you think about yourself, God is saying you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me take it a step further. You were not just created, but you were created on purpose. God did not accidentally make people. He had a purposeful plan in creating each and every one of us, including you, including me. 
But then God tells us another important fact about our identity. We are not just created, we are created in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, this is what we read. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals on the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We are image bearers of God. Not just me, not just you, every person from the womb to the tomb, is an image bearer of God. And this has three very relevant and very radical implications for us. The first uh, implication is this, that being created in the image of God moves us from insecurity to God-given self-worth. When we try to create an identity for ourselves, rather than receiving our identity from God, we are perpetually insecure. For some, they they can even slide beyond insecurity to self-hatred. Author Rick Bragg shared a brief story to show just how devastating it can be whenever we slide into self-hatred. He writes, once when I was little, I watched one of the birds attack its own reflection in the side mirror of my dad's truck. And the bird hurled its body again and against uh, that, that unyielding image until it pecked a crack in the glass. But it continued to throw itself against the mirror until the whole mirror was smeared with blood. It was if the bird hated what it saw there and discovered too late that all it was seeing was itself. See, the problem with self-esteem, whether it's high or whether it's low, is that every single day we are in the courtroom. For example, if our identity is in our work rather than Christ, then success will go to our head and make us arrogant, but failure will go to our hearts and make us fragile. So whether we succeed or whether we fail, it'll either puff us up or crush us down. But when we know that we've been created in the image of God, then we know that we have infinite worth whether work went well that day or didn't go well that day. And plus, this infinite worth doesn't allow us to become arrogant because it didn't originate with us. And plus, every other person we've ever met also has that same worth. Listen now, Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11 says, it says, Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new, uh, clothe yourselves with the new self, which, and here it is, is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. We must be renewed. What? In the knowledge of who? In the image of our creator. And in what ways, we might ask, are we created in God's image? Well, God obviously did not create us exactly like himself because God does not have a physical body. How do we know that? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus says God is spirit. And then in Luke 24, verse 39, Jesus says that a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. So we know that whatever it means for us to be created in God's image, it's not just about what we physically look like. There's something more going on. Some Bible scholars contend that the image of God is around our reason or creativity or speech or self-determination and free will. More likely, understanding it through the Hebrew lens of the word, it's the entire self that reflects the image of God through our character, matching and reflecting his character. So he's given us the ability to reflect his character in our love, in our patience, in our forgiveness, kindness, and faithfulness. Knowing that we are made in God's image and thus share many of of his characteristics provides for us a solid basis of self-worth. Human worth is not based upon possessions or achievements or physical attractiveness or public acclaim. Instead, it is based on being made in God's image. And because we bear God's image, we can have a God-given, positive foundation of self-worth. So what that means then is criticizing or downgrading ourselves is criticizing what God has made and the abilities that God has given us. Knowing that you're a person, that God has stamped his image upon, that you're a person of worth, helps you love God and know him personally and make a valuable contribution into the lives of those around you. There was an African bishop named St. Augustine. He defined freedom not as a lack of constraint, or he uh, defined it not as a, a choice, but he defined it as, quote, being what God created you to be. You were created in the image of God. True freedom, then, is not found in moving away from that image, trying to create your own image apart from God, but instead, true freedom is found in living out the image that God has made you in. True security, then, is not found in trying to recreate ourselves, but instead by living out who God created us to be. The medieval church father, Thomas Akempis, once wrote and said, to say that I am created in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence, for God is love. God wants you to exist. That's why you exist right now, because he loves you that much. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, so we have known and believe the love that God has for us For God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. The second thing we see is this. When you honor the image of God in others, you protect the image of God in you. In the Bible, God tells us that murder is wrong. This point is affirmed over and over, but it's affirmed in in one location. I'm just pulling one to show you is in Genesis chapter nine, verse six, which is part of the blessing that God gives uh, Noah and his family after the flood. Now, within context, God here is giving humans permission to kill animals for food. Um, And there's some restrictions about how the meat is to be eaten. But it goes on and says that a life of a human 
is not to be taken. Why? Here's the reason God gives in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed. And here's the reason. For in his own image, God made humankind. So to kill a person is to kill one made in God's image. So then, the image of God in man, in woman, gives dignity and worth to all people. It sets humankind apart from everything else that God has made. You know, it's interesting. Underneath all of the secular notions of justice is a set of faith assumptions that are essentially religious and based on the Bible, and yet within a secular sphere, people don't often want to acknowledge that. But when you drill down, they can't give you a reason for justice apart from it. Pastor Tim Keller once said it this way, He said, if the non-theistic evolutionary mechanism of natural selection depends upon death, destruction, and violence of the strong against the weak, then these things are perfectly natural. On what basis, then, does the atheist judge the natural world to be horribly wrong or unfair or unjust? Or as another cultural commentator observed, secular people today are trying to hang on to the value and dignity of people, but they don't know how to because they've lost the truth that humans are created in the image of God. So how do we honor the image of God and others? It's simple. Treat others with honor and dignity and respect. This includes people of different ethnicities, It includes people of different genders. It includes people of different ages. We must treat people of every tribe, tongue, and nation with dignity and respect. Why? Because when we speak or act or think in a prejudiced or racist manner, we're insulting God for what He created on purpose for a purpose. James 3, 9 makes the point that we're not to use our words to curse others. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. And it's not just around issues of ethnicity. It's also around gender as well. We must treat both men and women with dignity and respect. Why? Because God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so to dishonor a woman is to dishonor the image of God. To dishonor a man is to dishonor the image of God. And so we need to treat one another with respect or dignity. And yet it goes not just around issues of gender, but even into issues of age. You honor the image of God when you care for people from the womb to the tomb, from the not yet born to the oldest person who may be one breath away from death. Why? Because Psalms 139 verse 13 says, For it's you, God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's interesting, because when you actually look at this stuff, it, it makes a radical difference in how we live. For example, did you know that practicing Christians adopt at more than double the rate of the general U.S. population. And even that isn't a fair comparison because the general U.S. population includes practicing Christians. 
So if you pulled out the practicing Christians and you only left either the non-practicing Christians, whatever that means, and you left the atheists, the adoption rates of practicing Christians would be multiple times higher. The idea idea that Christians are only pro-life while the baby is in the womb is a complete myth if you want to deal with actual reality and actual facts and actual statistics. Now, if you just want to argue things that aren't rooted in reality, you're wasting your time. Transformation of society comes whenever we each are transformed. What we believe really matters. Or what about the sick? Many of the largest hospitals and the largest hospital networks, both in the U.S. and around the world, were started by Christians. In fact, I just want to take a moment, and I want to thank all of you who work in the medical professions. Now, don't clap yet. I'll give you a chance to clap. (laughs) This week, uh, the week that I was working on this message, you know, I write the messages about a month ahead. I had to go to the hospital uh, three different times I was praying for people who were sick and, and uh, several of them, you know, close to dying. And each time I would go into this hospital and there were nurses and doctors and technicians and security guards and administrators and, and, and house cleaners and the list goes on who were doing their very best to care for the sick and the dying and the yet to be born All of these things were happening in a hospital. And so if you work in the medical profession, if you're caring for the sick, if you're caring for the yet to be born, if you're caring for those who might be older, whatever the situation might be, and I want you to hear, when you do your job well, you're not just doing your job well. You're honoring the image of God that we were created in. Okay, now we can applaud all the people who work in medical profession. You see, the doctrine of being created in the image of God, that word doctrine, it just means teaching. The doctrine of being created in the image of God gives us all we need to empower us to honor the value and the dignity and the worth of each person. Which brings us to the third implication of this teaching, which is this. You were created in the image of God so that you could enter into a personal, loving, growing relationship with God. Mark chapter 12, verse 13, we pick up a story where Jesus is interacting with uh, some teachers of the law. So this is what we read. Later, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, elders, sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. You ever talk to somebody and you're like, you're not really wanting to hear from me. (laughs) You're trying, there's there's a hypocrisy in you as you come to me. Or let me flip it around. Have you ever gone to somebody and you're like, well, I'm curious what you think. And really, you're like, I'm really just waiting for my point to tell you why you're wrong. Like, that's what's happening here. Should we or shouldn't we pay? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. And he says, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius, which was the coin back in that day. Let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is on this? 
whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, because the coin had a picture of Caesar's head and Caesar's inscription. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. You see, just as the coin belonged to Caesar because his image was stamped on them, so human beings belong to God because his image is stamped upon us. Jesus says, whose image is on this? Give to God what is God's. Each of you and each of you online were created in the image of God. And Jesus tells you, give to God what is God's. Will you, for the very first time, or will you, in a continuing journey of faith, say, God, here I am. I give you all of who I am, the image that you've created me to be in, that I might use it to serve you and know you and reflect your glory to those around me this day and forevermore. Let's pray. My friends, what you believe matters. It changes your actions. It changes how you view yourself. It changes how you view others, how you treat others. And you were created in the image of God. Let that sink in for a moment. God didn't have to do it that way. But God chose to create you. Male and female, he created us. He chose to create you in the image of God. Jesus says, let me see a coin whose image is on this. Caesar, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. You're created in God's image. Will you give yourself, maybe for the very first time to him? Maybe right now between you and God, whether you're watching on your phone, whether you're here with us right now in this room, you would just say, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm committing my life to you, God. You've given me such a privilege to be created in your image. And I say yes to you. Forgive me of my sin because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might follow you all the days of my life. Friend, if you said yes to God for the very first time, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Your very next step is to be baptized. But you know, commitments, they're not just for those who are new to Christ. For those of you who maybe have been following Christ for a while, what does fresh commitment look like to you? Colossians 3 verse 10 says, clothe yourself with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Let me ask you, between you and God, What characteristic, what part of God's image, maybe his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his generosity, his love, his long-sufferingness, his goodness, his kindness, his gentleness, his self-control, what part of God's character do you want to grow in and say, God, right now I'm asking you, would you help me grow in that area? And that part of the image that you created me to walk in. 
I want to encourage you, weekly worship is a way for us to honor God, but also to be reminded who God is and whose image we are created in. All week long, we're bombarded with other voices that tell us that's not who you are. You're someone else. You're something else. You're something else. And then when you hear God's Word and you're in the worship of God, you can almost feel it's almost like being in a spiritual shower. You can feel the grime of all the other labels come off you. Oh yeah, that's who I am. I am a child of God. I'm created in His image. That's who I am. I'm, I'm a man created in His image. I'm a woman created in God's image. That's who I am. I'm filled with His character. That's who I am. A daily time in God's Word and prayer. If you're not regularly in God's Word, daily in God's Word, I want to encourage you to do that. That helps you stay anchored and be renewed in knowledge according to the image of our Creator. For some of you, as I was praying about this first weekend, will you let the truth that you're created in the image of God free you from insecurity and move you to a God-given self-worth? Or maybe even free you from self-hatred to God-given self-worth. And some of you, maybe you just need to say, God, if I'm honest, I'm insecure. And I don't want to be that way. Because it's hard for me to love others well when I'm so insecure I make everything about me. And so would you help me, God? Would you anchor me in this real ID that I'm created in your image. For those of you who look in the mirror and you hate what you see, maybe for you it's going to begin by an act of faith to say, God, help me. I'm looking in the mirror each morning and I hate what I see. For some of you, it just might be in the beginning by faith that you're saying, God, I'm trusting that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made that you didn't make a mistake by making me. And so I want to live into the image that you've created me for. And then lastly, as we pray, when you honor the image of God in others, you protect the image of God in you. How can you honor the image of God in people of a different ethnicity than you? A different gender than you? A different age than you? How can you honor the image of God in the yet-to-be-born as well as the very close to death. How can you honor the image of God amongst the sick or the disabled or more? How with your words and your actions and your attitudes can you say, I see that you have dignity and worth and value because you were created in the image of God? Father, we thank you for creating us in your image. Over the next 10 weeks in this series, help each one of us anchor our entire identity in you. The truest thing about my identity, Father, is what you say. That is my real ID. Father, thank you for knitting me together. Make this prayer your own. Thank you, Father, for knitting me together in my mother's womb. And I humbly thank you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Free me from any trace of insecurity or self-hatred and move me by your word and spirit to a place of trusting and living from my God-given self-worth. 
Father, remind me that your love is the reason for my existence. Thank you. Help me honor the image of God and others, no matter their age, their gender, their ethnicity, or other differentiations. Help me protect the image of God that I'm created in by living in accordance with your word and spirit. Thank you for creating me on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. And Father, as Jesus once said, whose image is on this? Your image is on me. Your image is on us. So now help us to give to God what is God's. Help us to not just do that now, but always. Living in a personal, growing, loving relationship with you. Accomplishing every good work that you've uniquely created each one of us to do. Father, I love you. And thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.